Hey, um, we're in our second week. Um, we're just going to jump right in today because we got a lot to cover. So, um, so I'm not going to talk about uh, stuff that happened over the weekend or whatever like I might normally do. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Philippians or turn your Bible on in your app or whatever and find Philippians. Tap on Philippians and uh, get to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 9 through 11 today. We're only going to cover three verses but it's, uh, it's pretty heavy-duty stuff in these three verses, so I want to be sure that, that we jump into that. Donnie began our series last week in Philippians and, uh, and did a great job talking about the fact that, that uh, God is not done with us, that, that he's, uh, he's working, doing a work in us, and he's going to complete that work. And so I hope you left last week encouraged. And I want to encourage you to do something. Uh, if you haven't already done it, I challenge you to do this before we started this series. You need to sit down and read the entire book of Philippians in one sitting. It's only four chapters, so so block out 20 minutes or however long you think it would take you, but sit down and, and read the whole book of Philippians, start in chapter 1, turn off the phone and the TV and whatever else, and, and read from 1 all the way to chapter 4 in one sitting. I think that would be a good thing, and, and really it'd probably be good for us to do that at least once a week uh, until, we, until we finish this series together. So today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, starting in, in verse 9 in just a minute. And, uh, and you'll remember from last week that when, uh, when Donnie taught last week that, that we saw in there that this is a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, we call the, the books in the Bible, uh, we call them books, that's what we call them. But, but when, when Philippians was written, it was not a book like we think of a book that's, that's printed and bound up and then you can buy it on Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble or something like that. This was a letter that Paul wrote to a church in, in a place called Philippi. And so this letter was sent to the church in Philippi, and, and it was probably, at that time, it was probably read before the entire church on a, on a, a day when they were worshiping, and, and then it was probably uh, copies of it were, were hand-copied and passed around, and they, they talked about it in life groups, if they had life groups, and on Wednesday nights when their teenagers met for worship, they, they read it there, and, and then they, they made coloring pages of it for the kids and their, and their children's services, and, and this was passed around, it was good teaching that came from the Apostle Paul. And one of the reasons they were so interested in it is because Paul was the founder of this church. He was the one that started the church at Philippi. And I don't know if you noticed last week in the part that Donnie taught, and if you've read through the book of Philippians, it's a very encouraging book. And as Paul writes it, you can tell that he has a lot of affection for the people in this church. And it makes sense that he would because this was the first church that Paul planted in Europe. And see, Paul's calling in life, what he thought that it was that God wanted him to do more than anything else was to take the story of Jesus, to take what we call the gospel, the good news. He wanted to take that to the people who were not Jewish, the people that they called at that time Gentiles. And so he wanted to, to go to, to Europe and he wanted to, to go as far as he could with the gospel outside of the realm where the gospel began right there in the Middle East. And so when he started this church in Philippi, it was a very special place for him. And so when he writes back to them, he's encouraging them and he's excited about what he's hearing about what they're doing. And, and he's praying for them that they will, that they will grow. And you saw that in, in verse 3, that, that he is praying for, he's, he's telling them, this is what I'm praying for you as a church. And so he continues that prayer for growth when we get to verse 9. So follow with me while I read verses 9 through 11. It says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, one of the things that, that I think is the, the main focus of these three verses today that I want us to talk about is I think that Paul was encouraging and challenging the church at Philippi that they needed to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. They needed to grow in their relationship with Jesus. They needed to become mature believers, mature followers of Jesus Christ. And when I, when I think about the fact that, that Paul was praying for growth, I, I thought about the fact that, that I think sometimes um, we don't, as followers of Jesus today, that's not something we pray for as often as we should, I think. I think a lot of times, as followers of Jesus, we pray for survival sometimes. Like, have you ever, how many of y'all pray these kinds of prayers? God, if you will just get me through these teenage years of my kids. You know, or God, if you will just get me to the weekend. And we, we pray for survival. If you will just allow me not to cuss my boss out today, help me, help me to survive this day at where I work, whatever it is. And so I think we pray a lot for survival. We just want to hold on. And then I think sometimes we pray a lot for success and for things. And, and the Bible says we're supposed to pray about the things we need, but, but I think sometimes we get caught up into praying about that too often where we pray, God, you know we need more money or Father, you know i got to have this promotion so that we can do this and that and, and uh, help me to be successful in this. And those things aren't bad things to pray, but, but I think sometimes we don't spend a lot of time praying the kind of prayers that Paul prayed where we pray, God, this is a specific area of my life I need to grow in. I'm weak here, and I need your help to help me grow in this. I want to know you more. I want to follow you closer than I've ever followed you. And I, I think not only that, but looking back in all the years I've spent in church, I think sometimes we also tolerate spiritual immaturity in people who should not be spiritually immature far too often. I think we tolerate spiritual immaturity in ourselves more than we should tolerate it. If, if I had a, a 17-year-old son, which I don't, and I told Donnie I was going to use this example, and he said I should not talk about my daughters in this example because it would embarrass them. So I'm creating a, a child I've never had. So imagine that I have a 17-year-old son. And, and I bring him to church here at, at Freedom, and, and I walk in with my 17-year-old son, and, and, and I'm carrying him, and, and I go to Freedom Kids over there where, where Ashley Teams, our Freedom Kids pastor, is there, and all of the volunteers that work with Freedom Kids, and they're doing a great job. And, and I say to Ashley, hey, uh, I need to, uh, this is my son here, and I need to register him for the, uh, for the one-year-old class. And she looks at him and says, well, um, he looks a little older than one. Well, yeah, he is actually. He's 17, but, but, uh, but he needs to be in the one-year-old class. And, uh, and here, uh, here's, here's these gigantic diapers that we have for him. He's probably going to poop about 11 o'clock, and so y'all are going to need to change that. Um, that's, he didn't poop this morning, so y'all are just going to have to deal with that. And then uh, we'll pick him up afterwards. And, uh, and here's a gigantic stroller that I've, I've handcrafted because we can't buy him big enough because he really doesn't walk that much. Now, Probably the first thing Ashley would ask me is, does this child have any developmental problems? Is that why? And I would say, no, no, he's totally, you know, everything's normal, no developmental issues. We've had him tested and all that kind of stuff. He just is really not interested in, in walking yet, and, uh, and he really enjoys just using the bathroom in his pants, and we've kind of let him do that. That's, that's kind of the thing we've decided as parents. We're just going to let him do that. It's, it's just our parenting decision, so you really can't say anything about it because, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you would think if that was the case, if that was true, you would think I was the worst father in the world, and then this child, this teenager, is insane. Would you not? 
And the reason you would think that is because no normal 17-year-old child with no developmental issues should act like a one-year-old. By the time you're 17, you should be able to go to the bathroom by yourself and you should be able to walk, shouldn't you? Because there's a natural process of growth and a natural process of maturity that we go through physically. And I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, and maybe this is not you, maybe this is someone you've known, or maybe this is you, that we will have people who they will say, yeah, I've been a, I got saved when I was nine at Bible school, and I got baptized the next week at church, and I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. How old are you now? I'm 49 now, so you've been a Christian for 40 years. Yes, and then you're looking at them, and you're looking at their life, and you realize you might have been saved for 40 years, but you were spiritually a baby. And I know you would never say that to them. But sometimes I think we tolerate spiritual immaturity in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. How many of you or how many of you have known someone who when they got saved, when they became a Christian, they had a terrible temper or, or they were gossiping all the time or, or they, they, uh, they held grudges and would never forgive or they, they refused to, to f- confront someone face-to-face and just talked about people behind their back or, or they, they were smoking weed or whatever it was they were doing and then here they are, they've been a Christian for 30 years later and guess what they're doing? They're still doing the same stuff. And that, there's no excuse for us to remain spiritually immature. But I think sometimes we tolerate spiritual immaturity. And Paul, in these verses, he's talking about the fact that we're supposed to be be growing as followers of Jesus. And he's encouraging and he's challenging the church at Philippi to become mature believers and to put away those old things. And so let's look at the the three verses. I'm going to kind of go verse by verse and and, and tell you what I think uh, some stuff we can learn is. The first verse, verse 9, it says, It is my prayer that love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And the first thing I want you to know today that that I believe we need to understand about growth is that love is the root of maturity. Love is the root of maturity. If we're going to be spiritually mature, if we're going to grow in the faith like we're supposed to, it's got to be rooted in love. And not just any love, but, but the, the, the right, the best kind of love. See, in this verse, in verse 9, when he says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That word love is, is a Greek word for love that is called agape love. It's A-G-A-P-E if you're taking notes. Agape love. Now see, in, in the, the, the English language, we have one word for love, but in the Greek language, they have three words for love. And, and one of them you've probably heard of is phileo love, P-H-I-E-L, uh, P-H-I-L-E-O, excuse me. And, uh, and, and that comes, it means like brotherly love, like a love you would have in a relationship, like the love you have for your homies, that kind of love or whatever. And uh, I know I'm so out of it to say homies, but anyway, and, and, and that's where we get the word Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love, it comes from that. Then there's another word, this eros, E-R-O-S, and that's a special kind of love between mommies and daddies only, and, uh, and uh, that, you get the word erotic from that, and that's a great kind of love to experience in marriage, and uh, it's exciting. It's one of my favorite things, but, but that's not the word that's used here. That's not the word that's being used here. The word that's being used here, when he says, your love may abound more and more, is he's saying, your agape may abound more and more. And what agape love is, that is the self-sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated to us on the cross. That is the love that we just spent three or four songs singing about. 
when we sang about the, the, the very first song we sang and we talked about how the love of Christ goes on and on and it overwhelms my soul, that is agape love that we're singing about. It is self-sacrificial love. It's love that puts the needs of other people first. It's demonstrated by what Jesus did for us on the cross by putting our needs above his own needs by dying for us. And Paul says that what he's praying for the church at Philippi and what we should be praying for ourselves is that that self-sacrificial love, that agape love, would abound more and more. Not only that we would experience that from Jesus, but that it would be so much a part of our life that it's just flowing out of us. It would abound more and more, that it would overtake everything that we say and do, that whether we're at work, we're demonstrating self-sacrificial love, whether we're at home, we're demonstrating self-sacrificial love, whether we're at school, we're demonstrating self-sacrificial love, and, and that's a part of everything that we do. And that's got to be the root of of our spiritual growth. If we're going to become the followers of Jesus we need to be, it's got to be rooted in that love. When when Donnie talked last week about what verse 6 in Philippians 1 says where where Jesus where where Paul said that that Jesus has begun a good work in you and he's going to carry that out, he's going to finish it and and you you can be guaranteed he's going to finish it. That's got to be rooted in love. It's got to be that we're depending on him and that his love is flowing through us. Um, I've got a picture here of something that I've never seen in real life, but I want to see one day. This is a tumbleweed. How many of you have been out west and you've seen tumbleweeds? I'm jealous of you. I want to go out there one day. And this is a tumbleweed. Now, what a tumbleweed is, is uh, it doesn't start off life like that. It doesn't start off life a dry, you know, round mass of, of trash kind of stuff. What it starts off life, it's a plant. And it actually is growing, and it's, it's, it's uh, becoming mature as, as a plant. But then at some point, it gets disconnected from the root. And when it gets disconnected from the root, what happens to a tumbleweed is it sits there. Now it's disconnected from the root. And the first time a big wind comes along, it blows it. And so now the tumbleweed, it only goes where the wind blows it. It cannot because it's no longer connected to the root. And for us, if we're going to grow in Jesus, our root has got to be, we've got to be rooted in the love of Jesus, where we're trusting in the love of Jesus, where the love of Jesus is flowing out of us, and that's got to be where we're rooted. And if not, what's going to happen is, when the winds blow in life, they're going to blow us from place to place. And they're going to blow us farther away from Jesus than we want to be. For example, if, 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 you're, if you're not rooted in the love of Jesus then let's say someone uh, disrespects you, someone treats you poorly, and then, so, that, so that's happened to you, and now the, the wind blows, because you've been, you've been treated poorly, so now this is a, a challenge to you in life. The wind blows into your life, and now what happened is disrespect now in, in you has turned into anger. And now the wind continues to blow, and you're no longer connected to the root, and that anger then turns to unforgiveness. Because you're not going to forgive them because of what they disrespected you. They were treating you bad. And then that, 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 uh, bitter, uh, that uh, unforgiveness turns into bitterness as the wind continues to blow. And so all of a sudden you've gone from being rooted in Jesus, in the love of Jesus. You've been disconnected from the root. And now you're way over here. And now you have bitterness in your heart. And it's almost impossible for you to grow as a believer, because you're bitter towards someone. You refuse to forgive. You refuse to talk to them because you're disconnected from the love of Jesus. If the love of Jesus, if the agape love, the self-sacrificial love of Jesus is abounding in your life more and more, you can't hold bitterness in your heart very long. You can't refuse to forgive very long 
Because it's abounding in you, it's coming out, you've got to be able to forgive. And so it, all, all of our growth, whatever the situation is, we've got to stay rooted in the love of Jesus. And when that happens, the wind's still going to blow. If you're rooted in the love of Jesus, it doesn't mean bad stuff's not going to happen to you. It doesn't mean people aren't going to disrespect you. Just when it happens, you're going to react differently. You're going to react the way we're supposed to react when those things happen. And then as you continue looking at that verse, he says there, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And I love this last part. He says, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. See, this isn't, when we're, when we're involved with uh, being rooted in the self-sacrificial agape love of Jesus, it's not that we, we're uh, uh, ignorant of what's really going on. It's not like we're, oh, we're just Christians and we don't really know what's going on in the world and we don't really, you know, we're just kind of in our bubble here. No, we, we have all knowledge. We see what's happening. God has given us knowledge of what's going on, but our love still abounds. We still grow. We're still able to love people who are unlovable. And, and it's, uh, it's kind of like, um, I like that it says there that your love will abound in knowledge and discernment. It's kind of like the difference between uh, someone who's been married for 50 years and someone who's been engaged for 50 hours or been married for 50 hours. You know, there's a huge difference there. Uh, Sherry and I were at a wedding yesterday, and there's this, you know, cute little couple that I've known, the, that we've known the little girl since she was tiny, and now she's grown up and getting married, and, and uh, she's marrying this nice-looking guy, and you can just tell they're so in love, and they were crying during their vows, and, you know, it was just, oh, so sweet, they're so in love, and, uh, and, and that's awesome, they are in love, but here's the deal, they're in love right now with no knowledge. They have no knowledge, they have no idea what it means to be married. They have no idea what it means to wake up one morning and, you know, the first thing you hear as a wife is your husband's rattling the sheets with whatever he ate the night before, you know, and it's like, this is what I married? And I won't even say what the man might say to the woman because that'll just get all of us men in trouble. But, you know, men, you might say something like, what, that's it? And so so I, I love to see a couple who's been married for 50 years instead of a couple who's been married for 50 minutes or 50 hours because a couple who's been married for 50 years that's love with knowledge that's love with discernment that that's a that's a marriage that they've looked at each other and they've said yeah i see your faults i see where you fall short and i still love you and you make me better for us to be together and paul talks about that this love of jesus is supposed to abound in our life more and more is a love where we have full knowledge we understand the shortcomings of the people in the church around you you understand the shortcomings of your pastor. You understand the shortcomings of, 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 uh, of your neighbor or of the person you work with or the person you go to school with, and you still have love for them that comes from Jesus. That's the, what our growth and our maturity has to be rooted in or else we'll never grow to be the people that Jesus wants us to be. Then go to verse 10. Paul says this, after he talks about love, he says, what is this love supposed to do? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, the second thing I want to talk to you about is what are the benefits of maturity? I'm telling you that, we're, that I believe that, that Paul is challenging the church at Philippi to grow spiritually. We're supposed to be spiritual adults, not spiritual babies. Now, what are the benefits of growing uh, in maturity and, and becoming a, a, an adult in Jesus Christ? Well, you're, you're now rooted in 
agape love. You're rooted in self-sacrificial love. And then he says one of the things you're going to be able to do as you grow is you're going to be able to approve what is excellent. Now that part, when he talks about approving what is excellent, that is talking about how we can live in, on this earth in this, in this day and time. See, when, when we, we love, uh, we, we're now rooted in the, in the love of Jesus, we've got knowledge and a sermon, now we can approve what is excellent. And what that means is we can begin to look around and we can start to recognize the things in this world that are, are not just okay, not just good, but things that God views as excellent. And then we can begin to push aside those things. They're, maybe they're not bad things. Maybe they're not sinful things. But they're things that are, that are really just kind of wasting our time. We can start to push aside those things and start focusing more time on the things that are excellent. More time on the things that will really draw us closer to Jesus. Now, I, you know, I told you earlier that I think a lot of times we settle for spiritual immaturity. We tolerate that. I also think a lot of times as believers, we settle for, for mediocrity in our life. And I don't just mean like being the best basketball player you can be or, or whatever, but I think we settle for mediocrity when we, we say, well, you know, this is, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I'm just always going to have a problem with such and such. This is just always the way I'm going to be, whatever it is. And we're settling for mediocrity. When, when what Paul says here is we're supposed to be able to approve what is excellent and understand that, okay, this thing over here that I spend 17 hours a week doing, whatever it is, maybe it's not sinful, maybe it's not a, a terrible thing, but really I could stop doing so much of that and I could start focusing on some other things that maybe maybe serving other people or, or spending more time in Scripture or, or spending more time uh, being a, a good husband to my wife or, or whatever it might be. And I could spend some more time doing those things because those are excellent things that are going to help me grow in Jesus where these other things over here, those are just okay. Those are just pretty good. Now I want to warn you about something right here. If you really start growing in Jesus and you really start approving what is excellent in your life, you are going to be weird. You're just going to be weird. Other people aren't going to understand what you're doing. And, and I'm not saying, now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an example here, and I always, I always get scared when I give examples because then someone's going to walk out of here and say, hey, Cliff, remember the Sunday you preached on that, and it's not that, that's not what I was preaching on. I'm, so I'll just go ahead and tell you. We're, we're going this afternoon to, to, to sky top and get apples. And then my plan is when I come home, I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch football until I fall asleep. So I'm not saying that TV is evil, but I'm just giving an example. So don't walk out of here and say, hey, Cliff, remember when you preached on the evils of TV? No, I never preached on that because I like to watch TV. But just, uh, let's just imagine for you that, that you're in the, in the mode where you're beginning to grow in Jesus and you're trying to approve what is excellent. And maybe the Spirit of God speaks to you He's not speaking to all of us, but he's speaking to you personally. And the Spirit of God is saying, you know what? You're spending way too much time in front of the television. And it's not a sin to watch television, but you're spending so much time in front of the television that it's taken away from the excellent things that you ought to be doing because television really isn't excellent. Television is just kind of there and we watch it. And so let's say you decide, you know what? We're getting rid of the TV. And not only do you cut it off, but you... You sell it at a garage sale. You don't even have one in your house. And then you invite me over for dinner. And I'm going to be looking around and I'm going to ask you, you don't have a TV? And you know what I'm going to think about you? That dude is weird. He doesn't have a TV. And I'm just going to tell you, when we get to that point where we're growing in Jesus so much, where we start to approve what is excellent, you're going to start making decisions that other people aren't going to understand. 
you're going to start doing things where people are going to think you're weird. And in order for us to really grow and to become the people Jesus wants us to become, I think we have to be a little weird. I think we have to walk away from some things that everybody else in this world thinks is normal. And that's okay. Then the second part in that verse is he says, we're going to prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now this, this last part, the talk, we're talking about being pure and blameless, this benefit of maturity is, is, is not just for today, but it's also for our next life. It's for what's going to happen to us after our time on this earth is over. That word pure there, when it says be pure and blameless, it comes from two different words, and, and the two different words it comes from is the, is the word for son, and the word son, S-U-N, not S-O-N, S-U-N, son, and the word for judge. And the idea is that you will be so pure that you will be able to be held up to the light and inspected, to be judged after you're held up to the light. And, and that, that's how pure that if we continue to grow in Jesus, we're rooted in love, we're beginning to approve what is excellent and add that stuff to our life, that what's going to happen is we're going to be made pure and blameless. We didn't do it to ourselves. Jesus did that. He began to make us pure. And, and it's going to be a, a thing that <coughs> we're going to be so pure that it's only going to be un, upon the very close inspection of Jesus where he's going to be able to tell things that no one else can tell. Um, Donnie and I were talking the other day about, uh, about diamonds because Donnie and I are both experts in diamonds. No, we're not, but here's the deal. If most of, most of you, uh, married ladies in here probably have a diamond on right now on your finger. And if I said to you, Hey, everybody come up here, take your diamond rings off and put them on this table. Um, the first thing you would do is you would leave and probably never come back to church here. But let's say you did it and you brought all your rings and you laid them up here on this table. And I started to look at them. Here's what I'm going to be able to tell about those diamonds. Pretty much nothing. I can tell if one's bigger than the other, and I can tell if they're different shaped, but I can't tell. I can't look at a diamond and go, oh, this is a, you know, 28C on the clear. I don't even know what they, what they rated on, but they have clarity, I think. You know, I can't look at it and tell how pure it is just by looking at it. Now, if I, if I brought a jeweler in here and he had one of those magnifying glasses that he puts on his eyeball and he looked at it, then he could start separating, okay, th- this is the most pure, these are diamonds, are kind of trashy diamonds, and uh, that, you know, you bought at Diamond Mart down at the, the flea market or whatever. And, and so he'd be able to tell you which ones, upon, upon really close inspection, he'd be able to tell you which were the really pure diamonds. And, and when, when we live our lives... See, here's the thing about, like, y'all walked in here this morning, and, uh, or, or even let's say I'm your friend on Facebook. When I look at all that stuff, and it looks to me like, man, we've all got it going on. Everybody's like, y'all are great. And, I'm, and, and maybe in my life, I'm struggling with something, and I'm thinking, man, I hate my life, and, you know, I hate people, and I hate where I live, and I hate my house, and, you know, and I'm, I'm just in a bad mood one day. And, I'm, and then I look on Facebook, and it's like, oh, man, look at them. Their life's so much better. They love Jesus more than me. Their marriage is better than mine. And walk in here to church, and y'all are all drinking coffee, and we're slapping each other on the back, and, you know, your team won, and you're all excited, and we're all, man, look at them. They just are the happiest people ever, and I'm having a hard time. Because we can't really tell what's really going on deep down inside. But you know who can? And you know who is going to inspect us one day to see what's going on deep down inside? It's Jesus. See, it says here that we are going to be pure. If, if we're growing in Jesus, then we can be pure and blameless. When? For the day of Christ. Because all of us, 
I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Every single one of us, every person on the face of this earth is going to have a day of Christ. It's either going to happen when we die and then we stand before him or if we live long enough, he's going to come back and he's going to have the day of Christ right here on earth. And those of you that know him, those of you that are rooted in agape love, those of you that have been faithful followers of him, when that happens, you're going to get to go home with him. Or if you stand before him, he's going to look at you and he's going to inspect your life and he's going to say, yeah, you weren't perfect, but overall you were growing and you were trusting in the, in the cross, you were trusting the resurrection. You're pure and blameless. You can come on in. Or some of you are going to stand before him and you're going to say, I went to church every week. I laughed at all Cliff's jokes. I even volunteered a couple times in Freedom Kids. I handed out candy at Halloween hoopla. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, you know what, though? You were trusting in something you did a long time ago that wasn't even real. And you never grew in me. And you're not pure and blameless and you can't come in. See, all of us are going to have a day of Christ. It's either going to happen when we die or it's going to happen when he comes back. And if we are truly following him, we will be rooted in agape love. It will be abounding in us more and more. Now listen, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you've got to be perfect. I had a couple days this week. It was hard to find agape love. And Cliff, you can ask Sherry. And there's times when we all are like that. But I'm talking about that we are consistently, over a period of time, we're moving closer to him. And where you can look back and you could say, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'm different than I was a year ago. I'm not perfect, but I'm different than I was two years ago. And I can think about the man or the woman that I was five years ago. I can think about what was important to me then. I can think about what I was spending my time on then. And I think about who I am now, and it's a totally different person. Not because I've somehow improved myself by reading a bunch of books but because the work of Jesus is continuing in my life and just like what Donnie preached about last week he began a work in me and he's continuing it and he's going to complete it and then the last thing look at look at verse 11 so once you're rooted in love once you can approve what is excellent and then be pure and blameless, then he says this. And then you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does Paul mean by fruit of righteousness? I'm going to make it real easy for you. Fruit of righteousness means actions, deeds, good things that you do. When Paul talks about the fruit of righteousness, he's talking about work that takes place on this earth. He's talking about actions you can take. And so when, when you truly become a, a true, mature believer in Christ, it will come out in what you say and what you do. What does a mature adult do? Does a mature adult stay home and collect a check from the government even though he can work and, and has an opportunity to work? No. A mature adult does what? He goes to work. Last week, Donnie had a birthday, and I walked into his office, and we were talking about the fact that he was in birthday, and I said, well... Donnie, you're doing what adults do on their birthday. You go to work, right? That's what mature adults do is they work. And mature believers, mature followers of Christ do the same thing. If you're truly growing in him, there, it's going to come out in some things that you do. It's going to come out in the way you live your life. 
And so it's not all about you anymore. There's no way that you can, you can live and have self-sacrificial love abounding in you, flowing out of everything you do, and then every action you take is all about you. It doesn't work that way. If you're truly a, a follower of Jesus and you're maturing, there are going to be works that are going to back that up. And, and so the goal of those works, uh, the, the goal of the fact that, that the way you treat people now is different, the way you spend your money is different, the way you spend your time is different, the way you communicate is different, the, the, the goal of all that is not just to do good works, but the goal is what it says at the end of verse 11. It says to be filled with fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Why? To the glory and praise of God. That is why we exist. Did, have you ever thought about why we're on this earth? You ever thought about why you happen to be born where you were born and, and gone through the stuff you've been going through you've gone through? The reason you exist, the reason that any of us are here breathing and, and, and our hearts are beating, is because God has created us to glorify Him. He's created Billions of little people who all of us were supposed to be pointing folks to him, talking about his goodness, talking about his greatness, living our lives in such a way that people can understand how great he is. And so our, our good deeds, our good works, yes, they help people. That's awesome. When we feed someone, it's great that that person got a stomach full of food. But you know what's even greater than that when we feed a hungry person is that God gets glorified. Matthew five sixteen, Jesus said this himself in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, your good works are what's going to glorify me. The things you do, the things you say, the way you treat people, that's how people are going to know how great I am. It's going to glorify me, and that's why we're here. We're here to glorify Jesus, and that's why becoming a mature follower of Jesus is so important because when we're mature followers of Jesus, then we can do what we've been put on this earth to do, glorify Jesus. And if we choose to be a spiritual baby and not grow in Jesus, then we're unable to glorify him. And so we're not even fulfilling our purpose. We're wasting space on earth because we're not fulfilling the purpose that he's called us to be. You know, as I read this letter of Philippians, one of the reasons I want you to sit down and read it from beginning to end, as I read it, one of the things that amazes me when I read it is to understand that Paul, when he wrote this, he was in prison. And he was in prison unjustly. He was in prison for doing exactly what Donnie did last week and what I did today. For just standing up and telling people about Jesus. And they threw him in jail for it. And what amazes me when I read the letter is that he's in prison and all of his concern is for other people. He's saying in there, I'm praying this for you. I'm praying this for you. I'm excited about what I'm hearing about you here. If I was in prison and I wrote you a letter, my letter would be, Pray for me. It's rough in here. I just got beat up. I just got shanked the other day. Or, or send me some cigarettes so I can trade it for some good stuff in here. Or send me something to read. I would be, I would be, all my letter from prison would be about me. Call the governor. You know, tell him I'm innocent. That's what my letter from prison would be about. But Paul's letter from prison is all about other people. And it's all about how the fact that, listen, me being in here is serving to be a good thing because more people are hearing about the gospel. 
because he was so in a, in a zone of maturity. He was growing so much. He was so close to Jesus that even the terrible things that happened to him, he was able to look at those things and say, this is still for the glory of God. I'm here to glorify God. And even me being in prison glorifies him. I want to encourage you today to get rooted in Jesus. If you don't know him, if you've never had an opportunity to accept Jesus, to just say to him, I'm a sinner, I've done things wrong, and I believe your cross is the only way that I can be forgiven of that sin, you need to get rooted into him today and ask him into your life. And then I want to tell you that if you, are, if you already claim to be a follower of Jesus, there needs to be some fruit of righteousness in your life. There needs to be something going on where you can say, you know what, I'm growing. I can see evidence in my life that I'm growing. If you really want to get weird and you really want to get scary, ask someone you trust, your husband or your wife. Maybe that's not best to ask them, but uh, it might be. But ask someone you trust that's really a close friend that knows you and say, I want you to be honest with me. Do you see growth in me? Am I different spiritually than I was a year ago? Do you see anything in me that lets you know that I am changing and I am growing? If you really want to get weird, do that. I'm going to pray for us. And as we leave today, we're going to, we're going to sing a final song. The band's going to lead us in it. And as we do that, if you need to, uh, to accept Jesus as your Savior today, Donnie's going to be right down front. Raise your hand, Donnie. He's sitting there at the corner. I'm going to be at this corner. Just as we're singing, you come down and come to me or him. And uh, we're not going to stand up front. We're just going to be in our chair singing like everybody else. And you come find us, and we'll talk with you after the service about how you can know Jesus. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to, just as we sing this song, just cry out to God. Ask him to help you be the mature believer you need to be. Come back next week. Bring a friend with you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing and go out of here. Father God, thank you so much that the words that you wrote, that, that, that Paul wrote from you so many years ago are still true today. It can be difficult living for you here on this earth during the time we live, but I know it's no harder now than it was for Paul. And if he could praise you in prison, Father, we should be able to praise you through what goes on in our lives. Because your love, your self-sacrificial love that you demonstrated for us on the cross is just as strong as it's ever been. Help us all to be rooted in that. Help us all to live in a way that brings you glory and honor and not glory and honor to ourselves. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.